We have a special speaker this morning. He is no stranger to us. He's been here many times before. And uh, what a joy it is to have him with us. He is the founder and CEO of Freedom Sessions. Would you give a warm CSE welcome to Pastor Kendik? Authentic living through conflict is our topic this weekend, and if you can remember the first five letters of the alphabet, and if you listen carefully, my hope and goal is for you to walk away with a conflict resolution manual that will work in your homes, in your families, in your businesses, in your school boards, in your church ministry teams, wherever. Let me give you a little bit of the history of this uh, resolving conflict model. It was actually birthed in a real conflict situation a number of years ago in a church that I was serving. We had a freedom session, small group that was about to implode. If you're not familiar with freedom session, there's a large group teaching component where 50 or 100 or 200 people gather together, hear God's word in different areas of their lives. And then you break into small groups to process the information into your lives and hold each other accountable. Anyway, about 15 weeks into the program, we had this one group of women who was actually comprised primarily of the wives of our elders. You might be wondering why were your elders' wives taking freedom sessions because they're married to the elders. No, um, the freedom session is not for messed up people. Freedom session is a journey for people with lives and relationships who want to look at some of the motivations, why they respond certain ways. They want to look at the past and process some of our disappointments or whatever. So it's, it's, it's a program. It's a great program. It's a healing discipleship program, a normal part of your discipleship journey. Anyway, so they were taking freedom session, but the group, there was a lot of conflict in the group and it was about to implode. And normally if it was a men's group, I would have stepped into the group and spent some time with them, try to resolve the conflict, but it was a women's group. So I mentored our freedom session director so that she could go and spend time with these women and uh, work through the conflict. And that's where I came up with the ABCDE model of conflict resolution. Since then we've published it and uh, used it in a number of locations. Um, conflict resolution is very, very important because conflict, uh, unresolved conflict is the number one reason for, say, marriage breakdown or family breakdown. I know in marriages, people say it's irreconcilable differences, but that's, that's not true at all because those irreconcilable differences were there in the courtship and in the engagement. It's Frankly, it's what brought you together. And it's not conflict that ends a marriage. It's unresolved conflict. The Gautam Institute in Seattle has done study on thousands of relationships and marriages, and they came up with a finding that in healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships, there exists the same level and frequency of conflict. So conflict does not destroy relationships. Unresolved conflict destroys relationships. Conflict is the price we pay for intimacy. In fact, if you can resolve, like suppose you have a ministry team that has a conflict, and if you can resolve that conflict, you've built a foundation of trust to move forward and have a very effective team. Same works in businesses and things like that. Guess what the number one reason, I've been a pastor for over 30 years, in my opinion, the number one reason for people leaving a church that they've attended a number of years is not theology. If you're going to leave a church because of theology, you'll leave in the first six months. It's because of unresolved conflict. Now, I know sometimes we've got to move churches, you know, children's programs or ministry opportunities, and I understand that. So there's no condemnation. I'm not blaming anyone for anything like that. But often we feel led to another church uh, six months after we've had conflict with some people. And again, it's not the conflict. If you're feeling led to another church because of conflict, first resolve the conflict, then decide whether God's leading you or not, because first he's leading you to resolve the conflict. 
Unresolved conflict is the number two reason people leave their places of employment, second only to opportunity for advancement. So that's why it's so important in Christians, we should really spend time and energy learning to resolve conflict because we should do it with excellence and we should really be better at it than people that don't know the Lord. And I want to be biblical and I want to be practical because sometimes we do a really good job of telling people what they should do, but not how they should do it. So I'm going to try and give you this manual of how you can resolve conflict and if you apply it, you will find that it works. First thing I want to do is look at the difference between how God and us tend to resolve conflict. So I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, the very first family, the very first uh, book of the Bible, the very first human conflict ever recorded. Uh, first, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, actually Satan was speaking through the serpent, he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you shall not eat of the fruit in the tree that's in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you shall die. But the servant said to the woman, you won't die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made for themselves loincloths. This is the very first human conflict in history. The conflict was not between Adam and Eve, though it was between Adam and God. Let me give you a definition of conflict. A conflict is a mental, emotional, or behavioral collision. It's a disagreement in your mind that's strong enough to warrant a battle or an argument or a debate. It's not just an annoyance. It's not just a tension. Conflict is one step beyond that. If you want a word picture, it's like two cement walls colliding together. And in this case, the collision was what between what God deemed best and what Adam was tricked into believing was best. And immediately there was a separation in relationship. That's what conflict does. Conflict is so strong, it separates us in relationship. In this case, fear entered the picture. Adam felt threatened, and because conflict makes us feel threatened. And Adam did what Adams typically do in the face of conflict. He ran, he covered up, and he hid. Verse 7 and 8. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together. They covered up, and they made for themselves loincloths. And Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, which they did every day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees. It's actually kind of humorous. It's really like the two- or three-year-old hiding behind a lampstand. <laughs> you think God couldn't find them? It's very interesting, though, what Satan wants us to do when we've messed up. When we mess up, when we sin, we feel like we have to move away from God. Be good for a few days and then pray. That's the exact opposite of what God wants. God wants us to move closer to him. If there's any place, if there's any time that God wants to meet us, it's in the face of conflict, it's in the face of pain. It's when we screw up, it's when we sin. That's where God wants to meet us. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die. He actually wants to meet us in our conflict. In fact, that's one of the few times we really want to meet God or we need God is in conflict or in pain. And he wants us to draw near to him. 
In this case, at this point, with the conflict, God was faced with a costly choice. Do I do something about this or do I let it go? It's the same choice that you and I are faced with in the arena of conflict. If the conflict happens, do I do something about this or do I let it go? In God's case between Adam, if he let it go, if he let Adam pursue his best thinking, the relationship was done, it would end, it was over, because God's ways and Adam's ways in this case were incompatible. To rise up against and challenge the wisdom of God was a capital offense called sin, and the, the consequences for sin was death. So what did God do? Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Do you know that he didn't condemn God doesn't condemn. When we sin, when we screw up, God doesn't condemn. He initiates a conversation. What, what God didn't do is retreat into a corner of self-pity and said, what have I done? What have I done? Nor did he just strish Adam off and, and put all of his attention to the zebra. I mean, the zebras gave God no grief. Adam gave him grief. He could have just totally wiped him off and put all his attention into the animal kingdom, but he didn't do that, and he didn't just withdraw. He didn't just let it go. He initiated a conversation. He was actually wanting to talk to Adam about this in the conflict. He asked, where are you? And Adam, Adam just continued. In fact, God continued the conversation with Adam. Adam said, well, I heard you coming in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God says, well, who told you you were naked? Again, no condemnation. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did God not know? Of course God knew. What he was doing was giving Adam an opportunity to own his part of the conflict. And what did Adam do? He hid again. He blamed Eve. Eve, it's the woman. She was the one munching on the fruit, gave me a piece, I had a little bite. In fact, if you look closely at it, Adam actually blamed God. It's the woman you gave me. I was doing okay here in the garden. I was a little bit lonely and the house was messy, but it, I was doing okay till Eve showed up. The woman you gave me, she's the one. You know what we do in conflict? We want to find someone to blame, and it's not going to be me. Because if I can blame you for my unhappiness, I don't have to deal with my part of the issue. The problem is nothing doesn't get resolved. Blaming is like a national sport. One of my favorite t-shirts says, I didn't say it was your fault. I said, I'm going to blame you. See, there's a pattern in Scripture. Well, God deals with conflict and Adam deals with conflict. God always initiates a conversation. It's just amazing. Next chapter, Cain slays his brother Abel. First murder. What does God do? Cain, what have you done? Where's your brother Abel? All through the, you can see, if you read the Old Testament, you can see how God dealt with Abraham, how he dealt with Jacob when they would go south. He would come and talk to them, how he dealt with Moses, how he dealt with his whole nation. He kept sending the prophets, and they would be pleading, come now, let us reason together. Those your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. God doesn't have a sin problem with us, or we don't have a sin problem. What we've got is an acknowledgement of conflict, an acknowledgement of sin problem. He's taking care of all that. God always initiates a conversation. What does Adam do? He runs. So is fig leaves. He runs. Do you see the difference how God and you handle conflict? Eventually, uh, God sent Jesus, his son, and Jesus picked up the same thing. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus just healed a man, but, it, but he did it technically on the wrong day. 
And the Pharisees were upset. And they came, they didn't say anything, but they, they came, the religious people came, and, and Jesus looked at them, and he knew what they were thinking. He says, why do you think these evil things in your hearts? Why did he say that? Well, condemnation, no. Because Jesus knew that the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, their pride, their arrogance, would eventually render them a hopeless eternity in hell. And Jesus didn't want that, so he confronted the hypocrisy in their hearts. Jesus was always teaching in story form to the illiterate, and then the religious critics would show up, and, and Jesus would wrap up that story, and he would almost all always aim the next story at the hypocrisies in the Pharisees' heart, and it eventually got him killed. And wouldn't Jesus have been better off if he just remained silent? Yes! But the people wouldn't have been. In the face of conflict, wouldn't you be better off if you just went to your garage and hopped on your motorcycle, went for a ride, or you went and turned to that fantasy novel, or, or to TV, or to go to work, or your golf, or your hobbies, or food, or alcohol, or pornography, or controlling, or blaming, whatever it is you do to escape pain or avoid conflict, wouldn't you be better off? You might think so, but even if you would, the people that you love wouldn't be, and ultimately neither would God. You want it in proverbial form, here it is. In the face of conflict, take God's example rather than Adam's. Lean into the conflict and speak. Don't run, don't hide, don't avoid. The rest of this message is focused on how to do that with excellence, but before we get there, we've got to make a distinction between conflict between God and me and conflict between you and me. See, conflict, when there's conflict between God and I, God's right and I'm wrong. If there's a disagreement between God and I, he's right and I'm wrong. If we have a difference of opinion, he's right and I'm wrong. But with you and I, it's not always that way. Of course, I think, if I'm having an argument with you, I think that I'm right and you're wrong. And you're having conflict with someone else, you think that you're right and they're wrong. But that's not always the case. There's all kinds of conflict. There's conflicts in values. There's conflicts in expectations. There's conflicts in the way you were raised and the people around you were raised. There's conflict in person. Some of you are direct communicators. Some of you are indirect communicators. Some of you are spontaneous. Some of you like things law and order. You know, so, some of you in relationships like to make decisions so you got somewhere to go. Some, some people like to keep all their options open. And then there's even genetic differences between men and women, just how they think and process things. I read somewhere recently, I think on Facebook, which you can't take for, you know, uh, for truth, but I think I read said that uh, women spend more time thinking about what men are thinking than men actually spend thinking. There's all kinds of, my point is that in conflict between two human beings, we've got to give up. Wise people would give up the fighting over who's right and who's wrong and start fighting over how are we going to move forward in this because if you can fight for two days over who's right and wrong. And even if you decide who's right and wrong, you still haven't resolved the conflict. I've been premarital counseling for a couple months. They're very black and white in terms of morality and what's right and what's wrong. They didn't have much room for gray, for gray. And they actually ended up having an argument right in my office there. I said, whoa, wait a minute. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And the bride says, I want to be happy. And the groom says, I don't know. It's a tough call. <laughs> Think about the relationships in which there's tension or conflict. How important is that relationship to you? Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Do you want to be right or do you want to be right with them? And if that sounds too narcissistic for you, do you want to be right or do you want to be Christ-like? Because wouldn't God have been right to kill us all rather than come down and initiate a conversation in a relationship? 
And that's not to say that, that we sweep or sugarcoat conflict or sweep it under the carpet. In fact, the opposite, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, if you are worshiping, if you are there at the altar offering your gift, whether it's worship or monetary, if you're at my altar offering a gift and there you realize that your brother or sister has something against you, and this often happens when you're worshiping and you're trying to draw close to God, the Holy Spirit fills you, but he puts pressure on an unresolved relationship. And Jesus is saying, if that's happening to you and you realize that someone has something against you, stop leave your gift there at the altar first go be reconciled to your brother and sister then come back and worship me there is a deception that some of us are under and the deception sounds like this I can be right with God and wrong with you it's not true you cannot be right with God and be wrong with your brother or sister your husband your wife your family the other people in the kingdom of God because it breaks the heart of God your father On the other side of that, there's a verse in Scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 18, that says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men or women. It's not always possible. It's not always possible to have unresolved conflict because resolving conflict takes two willing parties and two people to make effort. But it's always God's will that we try. So again, think about the conflicts, the unresolved conflicts, the people that you have broken relationship with. Is it because, have you done everything you can if it's possible, as far as it depends on me, live at, live at peace with all men because you'll only be responsible for the part that you can own and responsible for trying. So let's jump into the A, B, C, D, E's. First A, the first letter A is acknowledge it. We've kind of been talking about it. You might think it's a no-brainer. In the face of conflict, acknowledge it. I noticed that. I sensed that. This is what I'd like to talk about this. It's, we think it's a no-brainer, but, it, but we have to mention it because we've all got fig leaves. Fig leaves are those things that we, we, we call them in freedom session, we call them a drug of choice, and that is whatever, what is it that you use to escape pain or avoid conflict? What do you do? Is it food? Is it TV? Is it controlling? Is it blaming? Is it pornography? Is it alcohol? Is it perfectionism? Is it anger? Is it yelling? What do you do and what would happen if you couldn't do that anymore? It's your fig leaf. Rather than acknowledge conflict, we tend to go to our fig leaves. A lot of times at a place in this in a message like this, we would use a, uh, an example that we often preach on, pornography. Pornography is a place a lot of people run to, but I'm not going to use that one. I'm going to use a different one. I'm going to use, because some of us run to food. I was studying recently a uh, well-known uh, psychologist, uh, Vincent Felitti, and he was talking, and he was writing about obesity, and he noticed a number of things. People that overeat don't tend to keep overeating and just have, have unlimited weight gain. They come to a certain level, which is called their comfort weight, and then if they lose a bunch of weight, they often regain right back to that comfort weight very quickly, and he was trying to figure out why. And he had a very, very successful weight loss clinic in San Diego, and uh, he noticed that uh, 1,500 people had dropped out of his weight program over a two-year period, and it regained a lot of the weight, and he was, began interviewing them, and 236 were willing to be interviewed, and so he began to interview this one woman who came into his program with a little over 400 pounds, and she lost over 200 pounds and was doing well in all kinds of areas of her life because food wasn't really the problem, but it was more of a symptom of an empty heart, so she was dealing with the things in her heart. Uh, her life began to improve, but all of a sudden she quit the program, and she immediately or very quickly regained the weight, and, and so Dr. Fellini asked why, and she says because a man asked me out on a date. Men began to notice her, and immediately she knew what to do. She had to regain the weight, because she had been raped at age 11 by her father. 
And she knew that overweight meant overlooked, and that's where she needed to be. And Dr. Vincent stumbled on an important truth there. The reason why some people cannot lose the weight they carry is because they don't see the weight as a problem, but they see the weight as a solution. The reason why some men and women who are caught in the web of pornography can't find victory there is because you don't actually see the pornography as a problem. You see it as a solution to the empty heart, to the conflict or the the rejection you feel in your heart. The reason why some people can't get a handle on their anger or their controlling is because you actually see that as a solution to be safe, not as a problem. And we will never rise above or conquer an unhealthy behavior that we see as a solution rather than a problem. So one of the takeaways this weekend might be for you to ask God, is there anything in my life that I see as a solution to my pain that you see as a problem? And how would you want me to respond to that? Stop running, lean into what is broken, lean into the conflict and speak. And when you do, if you're gonna speak into a conflict, come in soft. The Gautam Institute that I referred to earlier has done studies, and uh, they have a 96% accuracy. They can predict within three minutes of watching a conflict uh, erupt or a a video conflict, they can predict with a 96% accuracy within three minutes whether or not that conflict will, will be resolved by whether or not the people or at least one party comes in soft or they come in strong. Coming in strong means you come in with a sword. You did this, you did that, you did that, and you also come in with a shield because you're expecting to get hurt. You're not can resolve that conflict because your heart's not there. Coming in soft is coming in with a pot of tea. Pouring a pot of tea, figuratively of course, and say, you know what, I want to talk about this. And using soft language, I seem to, I feel like this is what I'm noticing. And beginning a conversation, that's really how God approached Adam, Cain, how Jesus approached us with a pot of tea. Come now, let's talk about this. Come in soft. I wish I could say in my life I've always come in soft. My tendency in fight, flight, or flight, we've got different ways of dealing with conflict, and mine's a fight, so I often come in strong, but that doesn't get me off the hook. Just because some people say, I've got an anger problem, so what? I've got a spitting problem. Are you going to let me get away with that? No. We're going to deal with some of these things. You might have a tendency towards a certain way, but God wants us to come in soft. The second thing is, that's the A, acknowledge the conflict actually exists. Come in soft. Use soft language. Stop running. B is bilge the problem. Let me explain a bilge. Back in the day, boats, I guess they're still made by wood, but most, most boats at one point were all made by wood, uh, made out of wood, and they were made with gaps in the planks because the boats would be in the water and the, the, the wood would get waterlogged and need room to expand. So from new, boats were built to leak. And so water would come in and it goes to the very bowels of the ship. It always drained usually towards the front and that section of the boat is called the bilge. And water would gain there or uh, gravitate there every day and the bilge is a terrible place. It's dark, it's dank, it's musty, it smells and, and all kinds of things end up rolling down into the bowels of the ship. And every day on a ship, even now, every day on a ship, they, they get the bilge pump and they suck out all of that ugly, dirty water. They suck it out of the bowels of the ship and they bring it up top where they can deal with it and case throw it overboard that's what God wants us to do in in a conflict in a problem build our hearts find out what's really going on because most of the time we don't know Proverbs chapter 20 says the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water but a man of understanding builds them out King David Psalm 51 surely you desire truth from my innermost being most of the time I just think I'm angry and I think you're the problem So bilge what's beneath the anger. In Freedom Session, we have an anger-bilging exercise. It goes like this. 
You, you can learn this. When you're angry, I'm angry at, what are you angry? Specifically, write it down. What are you angry at? If you're in a restaurant, take a napkin, write it down. Specifically, don't say everything. That's a cop-out. What do you, I am angry at, and then go, I am afraid that. I feel rejected by, because anger is almost always a cover-up emotion for either fear or rejection. And once you know what's really going in your heart, bring that into the conversation. Rather than you do this, you do that, I'm angry, say I'm hurt, I'm afraid. I'm afraid we'll never resolve this. I'm afraid that our debt will just keep getting higher and higher. I'm afraid that our family will spend less and less time together and barely know each other. I am afraid that we'll have this conflict and it'll blow up and our ministry team will end and and God's kingdom won't. Whatever it is you're afraid of, be honest with that because that comes in soft. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Another translation says, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I remember a number of years ago, probably about 15, 20 years ago, I was having my quiet times, and I was reading that verse. I was on vacation. I was driving around the lake, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, I don't know what's in my own heart. I think I do, but I, the Bible says I don't know what's in my own heart. And I, the other thing is, I don't have to. I can ask the Lord. He he answers the question, who can discern the heart? I, the Lord, discern the heart. And it's very important before you try to resolve a conflict that you ask the Holy Spirit of God, what's really in my heart? Because often his opinion and your opinion is very different. Yours is usually surface. His is usually the depth. Because you want to resolve the conflict and the conflict's in the heart. And you start with that. I'm sensing that. And this is what's going on for me. And then after you're done, you be quiet and you listen. You give the other person an opportunity to share the issue from their perspective. Do you know that in a conflict, oftentimes, the issue that you see and the issue that the other person sees are entirely different? Sometimes you see an issue and they don't see any issue at all. You still have a conflict. Here's something to take you off the hook. During the building phase, the goal is not to agree. I can listen to what you think is the conflict and I don't have to defend myself because I don't have to agree with you. All I'm trying to do is understand what you see as the conflict. Because until I understand what you see as the conflict, there's no chance in the world that we can resolve it until you understand what I see as the conflict. You don't have to agree with me. I might be wrong. We might both be wrong. But we're talking. And the conflict's not so much about the issues, it's about the heart, it's about the relationship. There's a bumper sticker that says, I respect your opinion on this issue, I just don't want to hear it. <laughs> It's not a bumper sticker that's helpful in resolving conflict. I do respect you, and I want to hear it. Then we turn the tables, and we get to the C. So the A is acknowledge the conflict exists, come in soft, soft language. B is build your own heart so you know what's really going on in your own heart. Share that, then listen. That's B is build. C is identify and acknowledge your contribution. What's your contribution? Well, I don't have any contributions. It's all your fault. No, it isn't. You can always own something. So ask again, Lord, what have I contributed to this? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's that I haven't, I haven't brought it up. Maybe it's my pride. Maybe it's my schedule. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, you realize you have expectations. Whatever it is, what have you contributed to the problem? And just own 100% uh, of, of your problem. Um, Adam wanted to blame Eve. Well, Adam said he should have owned his part. Eve was 100% responsible for her part of the conflict. Uh, Adam was 100% responsible for his 10 or 20%. Just own the part that you can. The Bible says, my conscience, the Apostle Paul said, my conscience clear, but that does not mean I'm innocent. And when you acknowledge your contribution to the conflict, you're giving the other people a right to be human and have a a contribution to the problem too. Plus, they already know what you've done. They know the part that you've played into it. And acknowledging that is a step of humility. It's also totally, it's impossible to blame other people when you also acknowledge your part of the conflict. 
D, so A is acknowledge the conflict, B is build the conflict, C is identify your contribution, and D is what do you desire? What's your desire? What do you want? What actually do you want in this conflict? What would it take for you to say the conflict's resolved? What would it take for you to say we've at least taken one step towards resolving the conflict? You know, the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger. It doesn't say don't let the sun go down on the conflict. What I mean there is you don't have to totally resolve the entire conflict before you go to bed. You have to resolve the anger in your heart and walking through this process takes away the bitterness and the anger, but you still have to decide what is it you really want? Sometimes here's the problem. You don't want to resolve the conflict. You just want to attack. I just want to attack. That's, that's true. Sometimes that happens. If you can't come up with what is it, what would it take to resolve this conflict, you've just created an irreconcilable conflict that you don't want resolved. You know where I learned this? We're, we're, what we're really talking, we're talking about the price of peace. What's the price that someone would have to pay for this to be resolved? What was the price? It's costly. Resolving conflict's costly. What did it cost Christ? His blood. You know where I learned this, 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 this idea of the price of peace was actually at a home hardware store where I live. My wife was stripping some furniture, restoring some furniture, and so I went down to, to get some weather, not weather stripping, some, some furniture stripping or whatever it's called, uh, some sauce or whatever. And uh, so I said, I need, I need the best stuff. Give me what I need. I have no idea. And he says, this will work. This is the best. So I took it home, and my wife started using it, and it began destroying the piece of furniture. It was a whole mess, and I was mad. I jumped on my, grabbed that can, and I jumped on my motorcycle, and I drove down there, and I came in hard. I didn't come in with a pot of tea. I came in, and I came in and said, this is what you told me. I just paid 20 bucks for this. This is what you told me. Uh, it's going to work. It's destroying it. He says, what would you like? Here's another can. Would you tr- go try this? If that doesn't work, try this. And I realized I actually didn't come to, to resolve this. I didn't come for a solution. I came to vent. You know what the price of peace there was? 15, 20 bucks. What's the price of peace? The Bible says, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We talked about if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. In, in Ephesians chapter 6, we're talking about spiritual warfare and putting on your spiritual armor. And of course, it starts, starts off with the belt of truth. Truth's important, building the truth. But start off with the belt of truth, then the breastplate of righteousness. And then it says, and have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The word picture is someone poised for peace. You got shoes on, my shoes of peace. My question to you is, is your reputation that of someone who is poised for peace or poised for war? Would you identify yourself as someone in conflict, poised, I want to resolve this if it's possible, or are you somewhere poised for war, and I'm going to attack you, or I'm just going to withdraw, and you're not worth my time? This relationship is not worth the effort. It's not worth the pain. Which one describes you? Because meeting Jesus should make a difference in how we resolve conflict. And that comes up in the E. Review it again. First, acknowledge the conflict exists. Build the conflict. Figure out what's going on in your own heart. Identify your contribution to the conflict. And make sure you know what you desire. What do you want? What's the price of peace? And then E, what's the effort? What are you willing to put into this? In Freedom Session, um, we don't teach, we never teach people to ask others to forgive them. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You can ask people to forgive you, but you'll never find instruction in Scripture where we're instructed to ask other people to forgive us. We're 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 instructed to ask God to forgive us, but when I've offended you, I'm to actually make amends. I'm to make things right. Like, think about it. If I stole $10,000 from you, should I ask you to forgive me or should I give you back the money? 
If I destroyed your reputation with gossip, should I ask you to forgive me or should I make, say sorry and make phone calls to the people that I lied to about you and try to make it right? I should try to make it right. Where do we get this in Scripture? In Luke chapter 19, there's the story of Zacchaeus. He's that little man that you sang about in Sunday school one day. And little Zacchaeus, he was in conflict with everybody. He sold his people out to Revenue Canada or the IRS. He was a tax collector. They called him a sinner. People didn't even want to hang around with him except other tax collectors. But he met Jesus one day and Jesus loved him and didn't come with condemnation. He came in with a pot of tea. And Zacchaeus eventually invited him to his home. And the impact of Jesus believing in him and loving him made so much of a difference that it affected how he dealt with conflict. And halfway through the dinner, he stands up and says, Lord, today I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've offended anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times. And what did Jesus say? Today salvation has come to this house. He didn't even pray the sinner's prayer. He just made things right. Today's salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Listen, when we meet God and the Holy Spirit fills us and Jesus comes to live in our house, it should make a difference of how we resolve conflict and we'll want to make things right. So the question to you is in the effort, and this, we, this, we often miss this part in our conflict resolution. What are you going to do differently? What is the commitment you can make right now um, based upon what you're saying, based upon what you would say you need to resolve this conflict? This is what I'm prepared to do. <clears throat> now, you might not be able to do everything the person's asking, but what can you do? Because if you leave it there, the conflict won't be resolved. They will walk away still wondering if anything's going to change. And sometimes an apology is not enough. Sometimes a change of behavior is required. Because we have character defects. We have sinful natures that we bring into this. One time I speak on sin sometimes and character defects. And someone asked me, can't you re rephrase the character defects concept into growth opportunities? And I thought, that's such a millennial way of dealing with sin. No, I can't. It's sin. It's messing up. It's destroying relationships. This is what I have to change. In the Truth and, Truth and Reconciliation Committee that was struck to deal with some of the abuses in our residential schools in our nation a number of years ago, they came up with a fourfold um, strategy or process by which reconciliation has to follow so it can occur. And the first is a sincere apology must be given. Secondly, if you want to reconcile with someone, the unhealthy behavior has to stop. And it must become evident to all that the unhealthy behavior has stopped. Third, reasonable attempts to repair the damage or compensate the wounded party must be offered. And fourth, a new behavior, a commitment to new behavior must be given. And that's the effort. What am I prepared to do? Sometimes all you can say is, I'm willing to pray about this. I don't quite see it. A lot of what you said is, you need to be honest. A lot of what you said is, is new to me. I'm struggling, uh, grasping it, so I'm going to pray about it and think about it. My commitment is to talk about it in two more days. Or whatever it is. But come up with something. Are you willing to offer anything? Or is it all on you? All on the other person? <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? I mean, wouldn't it be easier to just go for a motorcycle ride or go golfing or... Have a glass of wine or something? Probably. What would motivate you to do that, love? Wouldn't it have been easier if Jesus didn't go to the cross? I think so. What would motivate him, love? And maybe you don't have the love for the people that you're at odds with, but do you have enough love for Jesus that you'd be willing to do that because it glorifies him? Lastly, I know that when we talk about conflict, we're also talking about pain. So I want to bring it back to the story of Adam and Eve. I want to bring it home. And I want to encourage you to never let your past mistakes rob you from God's future. 
you might learn to, maybe you haven't been dealing with conflict very well and you wish you would have heard this message 20 years ago. Maybe you think it's too late. It's never too late. Don't let your mistakes hold you back from God's future. If there ever was a family, a couple who could have called it quits, wouldn't it have been Adam and Eve? I mean, their sin not only imputed sin to every human who was born after that, it indirectly caused the murder of one of their children and the banishment of another child. If there ever was a family who could have just called it quits and given up, wouldn't it have been Adam and Eve? Yes, but they didn't. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is Genesis chapter 4, verse 25. It says, Adam lay with his wife again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another son in the place of Abel. Listen, everything you learn to do, you learn by doing poorly. You learn to walk by walking poorly. You learn to talk by talking poorly. You're going to learn to resolve conflict by doing it poorly. It's going to be messy, but it's better than letting it go. A, B, C, D, E, acknowledge the conflict exists, build the conflict, figure out what's really going on in your heart. C, acknowledge the contribution that you bring. D is what do you desire? What would it take for you to say it's resolved? And E is what are you prepared to do about it? Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave us scripture unfiltered with messiness and conflict and sin and people. And I also thank you deeply for the example it's just amazing how you constantly came with a conversation with a pot of tea and engaged a conversation when there was conflict with us. And you never came with condemnation. You never came with attack. And eventually you sent your son. And I just thank you that we can create a community where we can be authentic, deal with conflict, even if it's messy. So we're asking you today, Lord, those questions we come to you every week and ask you, Lord Jesus, what have you been speaking about me about to me today specifically where is there conflict in my life that I've just let it go where you want me to step in and speak who am I in conflict with and now Lord Jesus what do you want me to do about it do you want me to ask for prayer do you want me to see a counselor do you want me to write a letter do you want me to write an email do you want me to take a course like Freedom Session to deal with, learn how to deal with some of these things? Do you want me to call a counselor? What have you said to me, Jesus? And what would you like me to do about it? Thank you, Jesus, that there is no condemnation for those who are, love you, who are called according to your purposes, whom you've forgiven. I invite you to walk us through the next steps in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.